0: time for the phenology show phenology is the rhythmic biological nature of events as they relate to climate and i have uh few observations of a biological nature i mean the regular rundown of the birds at the feeder you know it's the same crowd that's been there all winter i got a bunch of blue jays and i've got a bunch of chickadees and I've got a red-bellied woodpecker, and I've got a pair of piliateds, a pair of Downies, a pair of Harrys, uh, you know, the the usual crowd. Nobody is uh, surprising me, although I did see a goldfinch the other day. Some of you have had goldfinches all winter. I'm sort of catching them occasionally. Um uh, the other birds that normally would be here this winter, and I think maybe I saw a pine siskin the other day, and red poles. red poles are also a bird that is normally here in the winter, but with plentiful food supplies and low snowfall totals across most of the central part of the United States and Canada, uh, the red poles are, you know, why would I go south when I can get everything I need right here? Red poles are interesting birds. They're circumpolar, so they they are every every continent that touches the Arctic Ocean has red poles. So the red poles that we see here could be spending the winter in Siberia. It doesn't seem to matter. In fact, uh, banding. There was a, a red pole that was banded in Michigan and was later captured in Siberia. There was a red pole banded in Belgium that was later captured in China. So these birds, they uh, they hang out around the Arctic Ocean. And in the wintertime, they sort of disperse to the southern reaches, which uh, includes northern Minnesota from time to time. Redpolls are uniquely adapted to cold. They're like rough grouse. They will dive into the snow and make a little spot where they can stay warm at night in the snow. They they produce 30% more feathers by weight every winter to help insulate themselves. So they've got an extra one-third weight of down that they put on every every winter to keep themselves warm and they also have uh, an esophageal pouch a little pouch in their throat that they can fill with seeds if they're in an area where they're collecting seeds uh, they can fill that pouch with seeds and that pouch will hold a quarter of their daily needs so if they've run into a lot of birches for example they can store up those seeds they can go to sleep at night and during the night they can kind of access that pouch in their throat and sort of keep feeding the furnace throw a little bit more fuel into the into the furnace to keep them warm so they are uniquely adapted to this to this cold climate and and they do just fine up here so keep an eye out by the way Uh, birches are among their favorite foods. And if you are out, I was out yesterday, we had a little bit of snow the night before last. We had another, almost an inch and I was out yesterday and the snow was just littered with birch seeds and birch bracts. And typically the red poles come in, big flocks, they hit a birch tree, they go in there and they just decimate the, the female Flowers or fruits that are on the trees. Now, if you walk up to a birch tree, and not every birch tree, but some, some will have low branches. Go up there and look, and you will see two structures that are hanging from the branches. One is going to be tight and about an inch or an inch and a quarter long. And if you touch it, it's going to just feel hard like the branch itself. And those are next year's male flowers, those are the male catkins. But Also on that tree are going to be these inch and a half long kind of light brown, sort of a sandy brown uh, fat, maybe quarter inch across structure that is the female fruit from last summer. And if you touch that one, if you touch that that one, it's just going to decompose in your hand. It's just going to be and you'll have a handful of bracts and seeds and uh, the red poles really really pile into those and really eat them up so if you've got a birch in your yard walk out take a look if you find one of those big fat female fruits just rub it a little bit with your fingers and it'll disintegrate in your hands and you'll be planting more birch trees the other thing that comes along this time of year, I have not heard it yet this year, which is a little bit strange, but I'm expecting to hear it soon. And that is the call of the great horned owl. This is the time of year when the great horned owls begin to nest. I checked my records. I have 110 notes about great horned owls over the years. Most of those notes run from November to April, although there are some summertime calling Heard among the great horned owls, and most of that was in uh, either in April or in in uh, June, but uh, very little compared to the number of notes that happened between November and April. And uh, just to give you an idea, um, since two thousand uh, January first in 01 these are all winter choruses. And what ha- typically happens is the male and the female start to call back and forth. And their call is deep, though the male's is deeper and the female is a little bit higher. If you're lucky enough to hear two of them calling back and forth, you'll detect that one of them is slightly deeper than the other. And the call is sort of a who, 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 So there's a who and then a, a stutter, a who, a, who, and then who, who. So uh, if you're hearing that, listen if one of them's a little bit elevated a little higher note uh, possibly a male and female chatting back and forth um, last year January 3rd uh, two years ago January 17th uh, three years ago January 1st in 2020 January 30th uh, December 6th in 19 December 20 or January 29th and 17 january 27th and 15 january 11th and 14 you get the idea so typically this is the time of year that they are calling i found this note from 2021 which uh, tells you a little bit about great horned owls and how they operate um here's what i wrote in my notes that day a cottontail rabbit minus its head showed up stashed under an old door leaning against the abandoned outhouse. My first impression was that the owl had made the kill and the weasel that lives in the outhouse had appropriated it. Two days later, I noticed that fully half of the remaining carcass was gone and there were no scraps. Returning three hours later, the remaining portion was gone and, pardon me, And the snow was stained with whitewash excrement. Now I know that the owl, it was the owl the whole time. It had hidden the carcass so the ravens wouldn't find it. On my wanderings later that day, I came across the scene of the death. A series of clean wing prints in the snow along with a trail dotted with blood told the grizzly tale. Uh, great horned owls are great hunters. They are uh, the tigers of the air. Ben Franklin wanted, uh, well, he wanted the turkey to be the um, the bird that represented the United States uh, as opposed to the bald eagle. I would vote for the great horned owl. It is one of my favorites and truly a remarkable hunting machine not to be fooled with. They uh, they are effective killers when it comes to predating, and you seldom see them because they are truly the night owls they are not going to be out banging around in the daylight like might be the case with barred owls or a great gray owl or some of those other northern hawk owl snowy owl some of the other winter owls that we see here they a lot of those owls spend their lives up above the arctic circle and fully three months of their life is spent in total daylight so they are not a averse to hunting in the daylight but not the great horned owls they are absolutely night hunters i noticed looking through kaxe K-B-X-E, season watch a beautiful picture of wax wings and it reminded me of a piece that i wrote about a year ago about the wax wings and uh, they are just amazing birds and uh here's a bit of what i wrote um, these are subtly beautiful birds Arthur Cleveland Bent, in his compendium on the birds of North America, describes the bohemian waxwing thusly. The bohemian waxwing is an elegant bird, a well-dressed gentleman in feathers, a beau brummel among birds. He is not so gaudily dressed in gay colors as many other birds are, but his sleek and silky plumage in softly blended harmonious shades of modest grays and browns, clothes his shapely form in a most pleasing combination of colors, and the band of white across the wings, the yellow-tipped tail, the chestnut undertail coverts, the black chin, and the red wax tips rather accent than spoil the harmony of the whole. And above all, the jaunty crest gives the final touch of aristocracy. Well written, and and for those of you who don't know about Beau Brummel... (laughs) All I can say is you were born 40 years too late. <laughs> I, um, I did a little research and, uh, and came up with some interesting things about the, uh, about the, the, the feathers and the color, the, the wax on the feathers is, uh, is interesting. It's not actually wax. Let's see if I can, where have I written that here? Here we go. Um, There are other birds, uh, let's see, the cedar waxwing is largely the same without the chestnut undertail coverts. The wax-like secretions on the wings and tails give these birds their common name. It isn't wax at all. It's a bit more like a plastic and results from their inability to synthesize the carotenoids in their diet. There are other birds whose feathers are colored as a result of this same inability but the wax wings are the only ones that produce these droplets of color. They excrete these chemicals on the central shaft of the feathers of the tail and the secondary feathers of the wing. Younger birds will have smaller and fewer of these secretions, and pair bonding appears to happen between birds of similar ages. Close examination of pairs indicate a similar amount of waxy secretion between paired birds. So, a little bit about the, uh, about the cedar waxwings and the bohemian waxwings that you may be lucky enough to have around your house. I hope that is the case. That's the phenology show for this week. As always, if you have observations or comments you'd like to share, we'd love to hear from you.